Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Long Duck Dong. <laughs> Take him, Moriarty, a.k.a. Long Duck Dong. Sorry, I had to just get it out of the way. <laughs> Where else could you possibly start? You gotta... Dude, when I was reading... The, I, was just, I was just Googling around about 16 Candles, which is the topic of today, and... Uh, he he's the only character in the entire the entire uh, Wikipedia article has his own Wikipedia article. Oh, like Long Duck Dong, <laughs> fictional character. The Donger has a what I would consider a a Wikipedia article ten times longer than Lily Mo Games's. Wow, <laughs> so, <laughs> lots to say about that's impressive. Automobile. <laughs> oh my god, dude! I got so many. I don't even know if I could say half these quotes. Where do we go? In, in 2020. Mean, we're we're going to go into that territory and more. Of course. Of course. But uh, Dagan Moriarty, Long Duck Dong. How are you, my friend? How's everything going in your life? Everything's good. Everything's good this week. I have a story for you. Immediately, I mean, this is the type of thing that happens within the five minutes of it happening. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about on the show this week. And it was only a couple of days ago, so it's still fresh. You got you to gotta hear this, Kyle. Could not wait to share this. Please. So... We're recording this on a Wednesday. This past Monday was Valentine's Day, just a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, whatever. Festivities ensued and everything. But I started the day. I'm not working right now. I'm on hiatus, in case you guys don't know, from my Twitter account, <laughs> bragging about, you know, just playing video games. And 
I mean, knockback is my only job right now. So it's, it's, it's been wonderful. So Monday morning rolls around, get the kids on the bus. Aline's at work, obviously have one errand Valentine's Day related errand to run. Helene and I bought Graydon a little Valentine's Day gift, a little Lego set that we wanted to get for him that was sold out everywhere. It was sold out on Lego.com. Graydon and I ran into it in the store a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, oh, that's a pretty badass set. Like, I like that. So I'm thinking, like, okay, this is where I'm going to get him for Valentine's Day. So we get it at Target, and our local Target has it. So Helene just buys it online, and then you just go into customer service, and you pick it up, basically. So we had a window of time to pick it up. So I'm like, I'll go get it on Monday morning. You know, I think we had until Sunday, we extended it. So Monday morning, I go in, go into Target. I'm thinking, you know, there's a Starbucks inside. I'm thinking, do I want to shop? Go look at the toys, go look at the video games, whatever. So I'm like, let me do my thing. I'll walk around and then I'll get the item for pickup on the way out. So I'm not schlubbing it around and it's awkward and it's already paid for. I don't want anybody accosting me or anything like that. So... I'm walking by the front registers, making my way into the store, and I'm, I, I get a brainstorm. I say, oh, shit, you know what? Let me go check and see if there's any Pokemon cards. Now, if you guys don't know the situation with Pokemon cards, this has been a pop culture thing for, obviously, a long time now, decades. But it ebbs and flows in popularity, it seems like. The last couple of years, it's been a hot item again, getting the actual tactile Pokemon cards. Besides just Pokemon Go and that whole crazy shit and the video games, Graydon's really into the Pokemon cards. He's been into them for years. Last couple of years, he's really hot on them again. And our local Target, I would say they're out of stock 90% of the time in the store. Completely wiped out. They have a limit set, only five per customer, the whole thing. So it's rare. It's kind of an exciting thing when I go in and they actually have them in stock. So I walk over and I'm looking over and I'm like, oh shit, the lady's putting them out right now. Now, our collectibles are in like a weird... The Target has them in a really weird spot. There's like the line of registers and then the health and beauty aisles on the other side. And all the collectibles, the ball card, the baseball cards, the Pokemon cards, the blind bag stuff, the Yu-Gi-Oh cards, all that kind of collectible nerd stuff is in a really narrow aisle. Narrower than I would say a checkout lane. Squeezed in between the checkout and the HBA. So I see the lady in there and she's stocking them. She's putting them up. New series, right? Whatever it's called. And she has her little table, her little wheeled table with the two shelves. We used to call them Hollywoods in the supermarket, but I'm not sure what if they call them now. But he, she, has her, and she has her boxes of collectibles, her Pokemon cards and her other things, and she's putting them up. So I walk over, I walk down the, the narrow lane, and I go, I think I, I have my mask on. I think she has a mask on too. And I walk up, and I, I don't know if I say good morning or if I said excuse me, but I was very cordial. I said, let's say I say, good morning. I say, good morning. Excuse me. Do you mind if I just, can you hand me one of those so I don't mess, mess you up? I don't want to mess up your display or whatever. And before I could even get the words completely out, she goes, you need to come back in 20 minutes. Super nasty. Right? So I'm like, what? So I don't even know at this point, like I was so nice and she was so nasty immediately mm. that I was like, is she joking? That was my first instinct was like, am I being punked? Like, what's the thing? And then I could see in her eyes. I don't know if it's pronounced by the mask or whatever, but she's got a little bit of crazy eyes. This one, she looked angry. Mm. She looked like a, she was a little off, maybe mm. about my age, maybe a little younger. I'm not sure. Certainly out of her twenties. Nobody in that, in their twenties is that angry. Right? So... I go to her again. I said, oh, look, like, 
trying to kill her with kindness now, right? Because I don't know what the situation is. I'm trying to feel it out. I said, oh, look, my little guy, it's Valentine's Day. I just want to get him one pack just, you know, to give him with his Valentine's Day present or whatever. Still don't get the full sentence out. She goes, I said you need to come back in 20 minutes. And now I know she's not kidding. And now my temperature just ratchets it up from zero to 110. Like picture the cartoon thermometer. It's like, whoop. And I'm hot now. But I'm, I don't want to... I don't want to go crazy. It's a woman. I don't right. want to be out of line or whatever. So I'm right. like, all right. This is happening very quick, but I'm trying to assess how to deal with the situation in my head. So I, I immediately jump to reasoning, right? And I'm like, look, are you telling me I'm a customer now? Are you telling me that I can't get one of those packs? You won't hand me one of those packs? I said, I'm shopping now. I'm not shopping in 20 minutes. You know what I mean? I'm here now. The, the item is on the shelf. You're telling me that you're not going to hand it to me? She's like, sir, I told you to come back in 20 minutes. <laughs> this is her This is her only, like almost like a robot. She's reciting this over and over Right, again. no, of course. No, but but sticking, maintaining with that nasty attitude, like she's not softening at all. And I, I admittedly get thrown by people that you can't soften with kindness, especially when you're being ultra sweet. And, not, and in a genuine way, like I wasn't being a dick. Now I can understand if I was one of those collectors that put ourselves that this was uh, this was what I was going to say was the okay. big thing. Yeah. Well, well, in my opinion. Sure. The, the, the hanging chad here. Is yeah. If we take. Can you imagine the people that she's dealt with? No, that's the thing. I that's under, the thing. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. That's, I totally right. understand that the adult collector thing we've talked about on the show before, especially with Pokemon cards and now with the. That stuff infiltrating the box stores, you know, the NECA's, Lego, Transformer, Pokemon, all this kind of stuff, right? Collectible toys. There's a whole section of it in Walmart and Target now. You know, this is a thing. And I understand these people could be obnoxious. I've seen it. You know, the pop vinyls, right? I, I've seen it in real life. I've seen how obnoxious it could be. The greed, that sort of pushiness, I, I got to get mine type of thing. So I'm sure she's seen all that. But you would think... When she deals with a customer who is the opposite of that, like somebody who's really being extra kind and understanding, like saying, look, like just hand me one because I don't want to mess you. I don't want to mess you up. I know you, you know, you're stocking the shelves over here. And, you know, by the way, I've worked retail. I worked mostly, I, I managed skate shops, but I also worked in clothing retail, Urban Outfitters, Banana Republic, big companies. People could be obnoxious. I get it. I've had people insult the way I looked, like all kinds. I've, I've seen the whole gamut of behavior, but- one thing you, you're trained to not do is to really go back because it could be problematic and basically you're going to end up losing your job, right? If you're, if you're argumentative with a customer or curse back or anything like that. Usually I used to take that stuff in stride and actually find it secretly entertaining when people act like that. And just sometimes you infuriate them more by being, you know, by, by being unrattled by that behavior. But anyway, she was sticking to her guns and I was getting angry. In the meantime... I'm saying to her, so I go to the level of, and you know, in retrospect, I could have handled this differently, maybe more creatively, but I go to the level of now, okay, she's not budging. So I say to her, look, are you telling me that I have to go get your manager and basically tell, tell your manager that you won't give me an item that's right here on the shelf. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to be understanding. I don't want to mess up your display. And I'm telling her, cuts me off again. And she's like, sir, you need to come back in 20 minutes. You know, she's being extra emphatic about it now. And as she's saying the same line again, 
and she's getting a little nastier and nastier with each iteration. I just, I'm thinking in my head, all right, I see this woman's eyes. She's obviously an angry son of a bitch. Is she going to be crazy enough to make physical contact with me? And I'm not inviting it. Uh, you know, if, if it was a guy, I wouldn't make physical contact. You know what I mean? But let alone it's a woman. I'm not, th I'm just thinking, is she crazy enough? Right. And then this is happening very quickly. And I'm like, let's see. So as she's arguing <laughs> with me again, I reach, I do a quick grab reach behind her, like a, like a deke. And then I, I reach behind her and I grab one off the peg because she's got them all. If you can envision the peg, she's got them all in the front. She's just starting. Right. So I grab one and dude, she went to gr either grab my hand or, or, or bat my hand away. I'm not sure which one and stopped herself within an inch of my hand. Like thought, be actually thought better of it, but she did do the motion. And now I'm wondering in my head, like that was kind of a problematic thing to do because if she did it, then it got physical. And even though it's, even though it's not on me, that's just a weird look, you know? So I grabbed the thing and I sort of chuckled in like a you know, sarcastic way and walked away and maybe said something under my breath, like, you know, that's bull, you know bullshit or you know like come on give me a break or whatever type of thing but can you believe that 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 actually she she could have just handed me the thing it would have been over instead of this this episode that lasted probably close to a minute where she's arguing with me where do you think it's fair that she would ask me to come back in 20 no, minutes i don't no i don't think so i think in my opinion she is probably shaken by the adult collector like you said and also, she might just there's a few things that you have to kind of check off. I think sometimes people like you and I go into these situations assuming the best of everyone, which is a reasonable thing. Yeah. But there are some people that are just and we've all known them. It's just straight up douchebag dickheads. Yeah. Like, so you always have to account for that. And I've encountered them and I get I have a good sense for them immediately. And then I'm like, oh, OK, well. That's fine. You right. Know, because I'm like you too. I like to be very nice to people in per in person. I I I kind of sympathize with the the. Well, I don't kind of. I very much sympathize with the blue collar worker. I don't have to do that with my life. I do very well for myself. Yeah, and that is a great blessing in a world where many people have to interface with just the dredges of humanity. Toxic people. The dregs, I should say. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing, dude. Waiting tables, too. I went, you know, I put myself through my second half of school. First half was retail. Second half was waiting tables. And you do. You deal with some toxic bastards. And you kind of got to take it on the chin. And that's got to get, it does get to be difficult, a difficult thing to do. Because you have to sort of sponge it up. You know what I mean? You have to absorb it. You can't really act out and return or, you know avenge yourself or cast any kind of, kind of revenge on the customer. But that was the thing. When there was kind people, it was always a breath of fresh air and sort of a relief. It was like, all right, I'm dealing with this table. They're actually pleasant, or at least they're tolerable. Same thing with a customer that comes into the store. They're not operating in an entitled fashion or acting like jerks. Just some people are just, you know, some, like you said, some people are just obnoxious. But that was the Definitely. thing is like, and I think you're right. I think we do go into those situations, ex not expecting everyone to be super kind and cordial, but at least to be a human being. And when somebody, that's the thing that ratchets up my anger the most, I think, is that when somebody is just 
so inhumanly nasty, like nasty on a level that's not warranted. Like I didn't just, you know, hit your, it wasn't a hit and run. I didn't smack your mom. You know what I mean? It was like, that's what she was acting like. She was acting like it was a complete, like it was a complete affront on her whole person. So that was the, it was just like everyone I've told that story, like my mother-in-law was so angry. Helene was so angry. She's like, Oh, that bitch, you know, type of thing. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. This is a great reason why I just don't go in the stores. <laughs> I think, in my opinion. I mean, it is a good tactic if you could if you could swing it. What what's going on with you, my friend? What's going on with you this week? No, 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 no uh, conflicts at, at retail at point of no. purchase. No, my conflicts are all with building people. Oh, no. that's uh, still going. So on? here's well, I mean, I, there's always something happening because I'm, I'm I'm just not content with anything, so I just have to constantly, you know, be like. Like I'm getting, I told you already, I'm getting shelving yeah. built back there. I'm yeah, getting yeah. shelving built in like our bathroom and I'm just doing a lot of stuff like that. But it's interesting because the audience might know that my big desire had always been to have a, like, well, we had one when we were kids, as you know, listening to this, this show, but have a pool. And so when I bought this house, it was brand new and we have a backyard that can accommodate a pool. So I had one built and it's been taking like a year to get this done. It's just like totally insane. Now, I don't want to bitch too much for multiple reasons. Number one, this is obviously a luxury item. I, I understand. Sure. That. I'm not bitching. I know. I get it. It's like something I'm not. A, I'm not much of a. I'm pretty frugal. I'm not much of a money, money spender. This is a pretty big thing for ostentatious thing for me to do. Like, it's big for it, anybody in, in, in my life, which is pretty minimal. I sure. Think. I don't sure. think I you know, so I'm, I don't want to complain from that perspective because I understand that. I also don't want to complain from a COVID perspective because in dealing with builders and just a lot of different people over the last two years, because yeah. I bought my my house was built and during COVID, it's just a nightmare out there. Like no one can find labor. No one can keep labor. I understand that there's all these things that are upside down, but yeah. there has been something especially incompetent about the pool people. And I don't really mind that it's taken so long because it's like, okay, it once it wasn't going to be done in the summer i was like once it was like june or july last year and i knew this thing wasn't going to be finished i was like well what does it really matter now but i'm bringing this up because the pool is in the pool has water in it it's done right and <clears throat> it's been done for like a while but we've been waiting for concrete and it's been too cold to pour oh right, right. Because we're getting like all this stamped concrete all around the pool. Sure. Then in March, we're doing like this huge landscaping thing where we're like making a little, little grotto. It's going to be all like hedgerowed in. Oh, and stuff. That's, nice. dope. that's beautiful. Dope. And so I'm excited about that. But these things must go in order. And I've been instilling in them. They're very nice to me. Like, well, not they. I, the one guy I deal with there has been pretty nice to me. Okay. One guy there, the owner, has, I think I told you, blocked me on <laughs> iPhone, on iMessage. Did he really? So I can't talk. So, yeah. So I don't I can't know if you told me that. Yeah. So, but. This thing's slowly coming together. It's, you know, and it's being done well because it's passing all of its inspections and stuff. And all okay. Like that. So, because that's important. If this thing was just being built, I'd be like, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust these guys at all. Like, because they're not really delivering. But the inspectors keep saying, oh, yeah, this is fine. This is great. Okay. Next, you know, next part. So they that's looking good. The walls, they come and inspect the electric, they go, and so on and so forth. So everything's fine from that perspective. But we've been waiting for it to get a little warmer. And it's pretty warm during the summer down here sometimes. And uh, so we had a I've been waiting for concrete. We had this date solidified in like January or something or early February. And then it was raining or snowing that day. So they couldn't come. And then we had this other date punted. And the date is coming up on Friday, this Friday from when we're recording this. And I'm saying this only because when it was first made and they were like, all right, this is when we're going to come and pour. And I was looking at the 
the window or the uh apple weather app and it was like it's gonna rain that day of course oh. but it's like so far out it's like impossible and and mikey kept saying like it's they don't have any idea what's gonna happen that day no so it's too far off yeah it's um it's it's a strange sort of situation and as we get closer and closer and closer it's clear that the date is actually gonna be fine and i'm only bringing this up because i'm like is it really gonna end like is this really gonna be basically over at this point because once the concrete's in they just have to come around like there's some tugging on the liner they have to fix and like make sure everything's kind okay. of running, but it's basically done. Yeah. You know? Yep. And like their part of it is done. And I was tell I was clear to them. I'm like, you guys need to be out of here by like X date, you know, like seriously, because you guys are in flagrant breach of your contract. Right. Like, don't fuck with me, you know? And now and like, so it seems like and you can understand why I think maybe the the, the owner like, well, n- not understand, but you can see why maybe the owner was not a. Uh, didn't want to talk to me anymore. But I can understand kind of put me your on, perspective. Put me onto his flackies or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I, I I wanted to just say that was my thing this week. It's just to say like it is it might be done. And what you're going to find out next week is if it was done or not. Because the cliffhanger. We're yeah, it's it a, is. I don't I don't know. Nobody you knows. You never know with they these people. Know. You never know with these people. Huh. And so the weather is perfect. Dude, it's, it's supposed to be like 70 degrees on Friday. Perfect oh. for pouring. I don't even think it's supposed to dip below 40, which would be great for curing the concrete Fine. as well. But even at that, even if it was 50 and 20, yeah. I'd be like, pour the fucking concrete. Pour it. You know, I'll deal with it in 10 years. Yeah, come pour the May. concrete. Get out of here. You know, like this could be an end to all the red tape, the drama. It's been kind of a legacy at this point. The, the important thing to remember, I don't know if you guys out there listening know this, but and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the company that told you, look, in no uncertain terms, they said this to you, right? In not so many words, like, look, we're going to put in X amount of pools this year. You're either going to be one of them or you're not. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. That was the pool company I didn't go with. Oh, that's and I the one. should have gone with those guys. <laughs> that was the bad pool company. Maybe, maybe as it turns out, those guys weren't. had the bravado and confidence to say like one way or the other, you're not getting in the way of this train. And at the time, I was like, fuck this shit. That is you know, insane. But, but, in, but in hindsight, that was the nexus of all of these issues. And it's kind of Allie's fault because she found these people. Okay. These people. These people. The current ones. And now, you know, it's fine. I'm the one who in- initiated all of it. But it, it'll be done soon. It's, it'll be done soon. It's, I'm I so think happy maybe, about that. Maybe the, it'll the be The initial soon. company, the funny I hope for thing their is, sake. I hope for their sake it's done soon. Because they've, they've pushed me to the point where it's like, hmm. It's, you know. It's beyond aggravating. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty bad at this point. I mean, what's really funny about the story to me, Kyle, is that initial pool company that you nixed, you got to kind of respect their honesty in a way, right? I think because of COVID, because of people staying home, whatever it was, at least initially, not traveling, let's get the, you know, Charlie, let's get the pool put in. I think this is finally the time to make a move. The economy being on the up and up largely over the last two years, all of those things conflate to like, yeah, people are getting pool. I mean, I see it in my neighborhood. We're not in that. We're not doing that, but a lot of people are. A lot of my neighbors are, or either that or they're resurfacing or doing big, you know, large ticket items in their backyard. You know, this is the time of the so in a way, that initial company, that story that you told always made me laugh because it, it's an obnoxious, entitled thing to say. 
But at the same time, they're just being honest. They're gonna they're gonna put in X amount of pools in that season. You're gonna be one or you're not. You're on board. That pool that pool would have been done. That pool would have been done. I would I should have just went with those guys. I don't <laughs> know. But you didn't know. No, but I didn't know. But because when I was talking to them, I was still in closing. So I was gonna buy the the house is buying. But I was like, there's so much. I paid. I put a lot of money down on the house. There was like I put forty percent down on my house. That's a lot. That's to, because I wanted to murder the the mortgage like I wanted yeah, to just sure. murder it in yeah. the crib you know the mortgage is like comical which is so nice the mortgage is a third of my rent in LA yeah yeah so that, I wanted to put my put myself in that position sure of course but it's very smart. but in talking about with people at that time I'm like man I don't want to spend all this money right now like so I think that was part of it too okay. but it was just too it's just too bad you know but but nonetheless it is what it is I also think I look like a doofus to my neighbors I think I and I was telling the pool company I'm like I'm pretty sure my neighbors think I ran out of money and I oh. and you're gonna get me and, and you're gonna get me in trouble with the HOA and all this this is not like a, a, a you know a fucking shitty neighborhood I'm sorry like that's right you have like, an HOA you, over there too yeah you like gotta protect you gotta make sure you I I, uh, I don't even want to go with the HOA was a whole thing because I was basically like listen I'm building this pool you know like, I think I told you that, right? Because yes. when I bought the house, it was with the agreement that I would build a pool. Yes. And so then they were and, and so then they were like, well, you need to submit, submit this, that and the other thing. And I was sure. like, I'm building the pool. Like, that was basically like <laughs> that was basically like my conversation with them because they're like, you got to submit it. It's got to go through this board, this architectural board and yeah. this and that. You got to pay this fee. Tape. And I'm like, well, that's totally fine. But sure. I'm building the pool. So just letting you guys know. And that was basically my communication with them. And we actually have new HO, like a whole new HOA firm now as of this year. Oh, so I didn't know they could it's kind of nice because they don't they they probably they might have like a permanent record of being like this guy. Watch out for this. Man. Watch out for this yeah. guy. You got the little asterisk next to your name. You, the the problem. Well, listen, listen, good luck. Stay tuned. You guys will find out next week what what becomes of this situation. Will. Yeah, so it you, be it's a, I'm on a razor. I'm on a razor's edge, dude, because if, if I because they said. February 18th at 10 a.m. And if they're not out there at 10 a.m. on February 18th, it's, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, um, that's part of the story that I'm looking. I hope you don't get. Listen, I don't wish that situation on you, but that is part of the uh, cliffhanger. Well, because where it's, it's we getting to the here? point where I'm like, I hate to say it because I have a, a, I hate to do this because I'm really not like this. I'm a businessman. Yeah. I own two businesses, as everyone knows. I'm very patient and decent and I'm, I try to do things the right way. I've never had any issues with anyone. Right. Legally, it's not on wood. It's getting to the point where I'm like, am I do I have to sue you? Like, is that what you are going to force me to do? Right. You know, and because I went through the contract with them and I was like, you're in breach of like all these different things. Right. And I want to just let you know that I know that you are in breach of all these things. And it's like, I don't want to do this, man. Like, I, I just want you to do what you said you were going to do and I'll pay you. The rest of the money will be done. Right. You of know, course. so. I'm just it's pushing me to the edge where it's like and on one hand, I'm like very loose about it because it's been a winner and I'm like, it does not matter when, when this gets done from October to now. I'm like, fuck it. Who cares? But now we're getting into that territory again where it's like, all right, the thaw is going to come. It's going to it's the south. It's going to be hot here in 60 days, you know, and now I'm starting. So it's like, God, don't come on, man. You're dealing with an up and up decent person here in me. Right. You know? Yes, of course. I can only imagine what people in my situation would say and do to you guys. And I want to say that to them sometimes. I'm like, you should meet my dad sometimes. Some, I want, I, I almost want to say to them, that pool would have been done and then he would have made you dig it back up and then made you do it again. 
That's the thing. Do yeah. the kind no people get screwed? The patient people, the people that try yes. to abide and be yes. understanding. They, those people, they definitely do. Yeah, they I think do. I think that is often the case for sure. And you know what, though, at a, at a certain point, you'll look back and laugh. You just got to keep but telling definitely. yourself that. That's if it. See if that's the razor's edge around because if this just gets done, yeah. on Friday, then it's over. It's right. basically over, and the rest is just stories. They One just have to come clean the pool. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah. So good luck. Anyway. Yeah, thank Good you. luck, my friend. All right, we, we went long on the intro there. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Digging. Today's topic is 16 Candles. Right. The 1984 teen drama from none other than John Hughes. We love John Hughes. R.I.P. John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Of course, one of the great film writers and especially in the teen comedy drama genres from the early 80s right on to the late 90s he was the man and you know wrote such hits well first of all a bunch of national lampoon stuff later went and did breakfast club and weird science and pretty in pink and ferris bueller either as a writer and a director or both some kind of wonderful planes trains and automobile the great outdoors uncle buck home alone beethoven Miracle on 34th Street, Flubber, the remake. It's pretty interesting. He he uh he's done it all. And we've done some of his movies already. Obviously, we did The Breakfast Club, which is one of our oh, favorite man. movies from that, that era. This is the movie before The Breakfast Club, and it's an interesting film starring Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald, who are in The Breakfast Club, obviously, and playing two very different characters from what they play in that, showing a lot of their mm-hmm. range. They this movie, so I watched it yesterday. I haven't seen this movie probably since college. And, and as we've said 
I was really in this 80s movie mode in college when that was when Netflix was kind of new and we would just get a bunch of obscure 80s movies. And I always talk about them like three o'clock high and all this random shit. I I was obsessed with it. 16 Candles was obviously like one of the most prevalent and popular movies of that era. And so it wasn't really one of the cool movies to watch when you wanted to get deeper. You wanted to watch Lucas or something. You know, you didn't want to watch necessarily 16 Candles, but 16 Candles is a wonderful movie. And I just had forgotten how it felt and and all of that to watch it. And I, I want I want to start with this with you and I ask you this. Sure. Do you think that this movie is intentionally surreal? There seems to be an element of this movie that suggests I, and I, I don't want to get too deep in, in ethereal into it because I'm positive John Hughes didn't mean it. But okay. like it almost feels like it didn't happen and is like a is almost like a parable as opposed to anything else now very similar to breakfast club later on which is a good contrast to this it takes place over mostly one day and you see a little bit of the next day just like in breakfast club but i and in breakfast club really it's the end of that day that you see as it ends but and it's so it's such a strange movie and it's sexuality and it's overt i don't know slapstick comedy and it's lack of development of character and all of this, like you kind of get a feel for the characters, but you don't really know any of them. Yeah, it's true. What do you, what do you make of this movie just thematically? Does it feel surreal to you? They even break the fourth wall in the movie, which is why I think that maybe it is there is more of an intention than it just being a, a coming of age film. It seems so much deeper, specifically because its major hook is satiated like halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's true. And so great point and then it becomes about a bunch of different things so I'm, I'm curious what you think of this film and if you kind of share my instinct that there is more to it than meets the eye well i think breakfast club is a movie that can be interpreted as having happened right and yes. having taken place and having a, a point to all the characters and what it's trying to say about popularity and being in and all the different things that the breakfast club's about this seems to me to just be different and i'm curious what what your angle is on the 16 you're absolutely candles. right dude that that is such a that is such an interesting take and one I haven't heard before with this film. It does feel surreal, almost dreamlike at times. Sometimes it meanders into fantasy, sometimes it meanders into nightmarish situations, but it does get a little trippy, right? You got weird exchange students popping up in your bedroom and all kinds of madcap things happening. And I think, you know, I wrote down that what's interesting about John Hughes, in particular, his early efforts especially throughout the 80s especially the teen movies is that they feel so grounded accurate connected authentic honest relevant and i think that's true i think there is a really i think that's what makes them so nostalgic number one but i also think that's why they were special upon the initial releases of these movies is that they really sort of connected in a way unlike a lot of other films dealing with young people and i think what it is is that being a teenager feels like that sometimes it feels crazy and you have that simple but ingenious premise at the heart of the film in this case which is everyone in your entire family forgetting your birthday which is a very dreamlike bizarre thing to happen when have you ever heard that from anybody so you have that at the heart of the movie and so you have this iconic 80s movie born in the heart of the 1980s but it's centered around that nightmare scenario that any 16-year-old would dread your entire family, including both sets of grandparents, by the way, right. <laughs> forgetting about your birthday. So you do have that sort of thing where it's exaggerated 
And I think that's what makes John Hughes's work, particularly this movie, so special is that it is realistic in a way. It's hysterical. It's laugh out loud funny at times. It's extremely exaggerated and cartoonish at times, but it does still in all of that feel realistic. It feels like being a 15, 16 year old kid again. And uh, I think not only, and, and those, those themes are timeless because we're looking at a very mid eighties thing, you know, th- thing with this movie and a very mid eighties vehicle, but those things transcend, those themes transcend time, popularity, crushes, Jean, you know, different cliques in school, family, pain in the ass, little siblings, older siblings, teachers, all of that thing, all Clique. of those things, right? All France, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have all that, and yep. you know, it's crazy to look at this movie thirty-seven years on because I think that's one of the things is seeing how it will hold up entertainment-wise. But also just how it holds up in general. Is it, are these things still relevant? Are you know are some of these things sort of stuck in time, or are these still things kids are dealing with today with family and school and friends and teachers and principals and all that kind of thing? And it does. Sometimes it just feels like, you know, a fever dream, and that's being a teenager. Yeah, that's well said. Because I, I John Hughes. I'm very familiar with John Hughes's work because I really like it. Not the the small, smaller and more incidental stuff, but everything through Home Alone, I would say. Yeah. And for me, I just feel like he's not trying to get too ethereal in his movies. He's very literal. So I was feeling like my interpretation of it couldn't possibly be true. But when I saw Anthony Michael Hall look at the camera that one scene, which I don't remember from it, I was like, hmm, it's interesting. You know, like he acknowledges the audience. Yeah. Breaking and the fourth wall is a big thing. Yeah, no, totally. is. you can't take that back. Huge decision. You can't take that back. That's a narrative decision. And John Hughes is smart enough to know what that means. So I think that there's something to it, but just wanted to throw that out there. But I do want to ask you about this from Dylan Paulson. And remember, if you support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last day media, you can submit your inquiries to our show like Dylan did. He said, I actually just saw this movie for the first time this past year. One thing that really stood out to me, as opposed to other John Hughes movies, was just how fun this movie is. Everyone seems like they're having a great time on screen. Do you guys remember what the attitude towards this movie was like when it came out? Now, I wanted to ask you this, because this movie came out in 84, but I wasn't born yet, because I was born in October of 84. This came out in the spring of 84, and even if I was, I wouldn't remember 16 Candles. But what's interesting about this is that it comes out after Mr. Mom, who which he wrote the year before, but more importantly, Class Reunion... And Vacation, which he wrote, which were the National Lampoon's movies from 82 and 84, are leading into this. So the expectation with John Hughes at this point is not sentimental. It's that's 16 Candles begins the segueing into sentimental John Hughes. That's where you get the Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, right? And then to a lesser extent, you have like the great outdoors, family-ish kind of shit. I don't don't really like that movie very much. But when you start getting into the... uh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. My ex-girlfriend Cheryl loved that movie. And I, I remember being like, I don't know. This is one of his weakest movies. I got to revisit like that movie so much more. We'll get to that, I'm sure, at some point. But then he does. And I said, I, I did say he didn't get into the ethereal stuff. He did write and direct Weird Science. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what we're talking about here. So he becomes more sentimental at this point, and And it becomes more about these teen angst and drama stories that he wants to tell. 
But I'm curious as you have you were 11 when this came out. I'm, I'm curious if you remember 16 Candles coming out. I specifically re- want to know if you remember it as being a contemporary teen movie, because I feel like at 11 or 12, I would have been very compelled to see this movie, having thought that it was what the older people were into and what they were like and maybe getting a little lens into their lives, which is why I loved movies teen movies as a kid growing up and then why I really gleaned onto the American Pie movies because they were my contemporaries and they felt like our movies. So what do you think about that angle of it as far as, um, you know, just the acting and the, and the fun and all of that, but also the sentimentality that came to bear in 16 Candles? Yeah, I think that's what makes John Hughes's work. I mean, the seminal works that we think about John Hughes writing and directing in the, in the 80s, writing and or directing in the 80s, right? We think of The Breakfast Club. We think of Pretty in Pink. We think of Ferris Bueller. We think of Sixteen Candles. That's what makes these teen movies so special, I think, is they're a nice blending of humor and sentimentality or drama, really. Everything that you're dealing with as a kid. I heard John... I went, down, I went on a really... a pretty big deep dive with John Hughes for this topic, and I found him. The more I heard, he didn't do a lot of interviews. He did some radio interviews. Very interesting, though. We think of those directors that are very articulate and really deft at talking about not only their films, but film in general. We think about Tarantino, Scorsese. We think about um, Spielberg, right? But then there's those other directors that you don't necessarily expect that from. Wes Anderson, I would put in that camp, Michael Mann. And John Hughes, really amazing to listen to, just speak about their work, about their art, about their origins. And I think I was listening to a John Hughes interview and he was talking about about Ferris Bueller specifically in this case, but he was saying at the heart of that, what he was trying to say in that movie, that movie has messages about, you know, estrangement and not being close with your parents and running afoul of teachers and principals and discipline and all these different types of things. But he said at the heart of it, what he was really doing with that was he wanted to, obviously we know about teen angst, we know about teen drama. We know about how volatile it could be to be a teenager, that teen energy. But what he was saying with Ferris Bueller specifically, and I'm sure his other things too, was that this is also the best time of your life. This is also a fun and vibrant time of your life. Maybe the best time of your life. So that, I would say so. trying to encapsulate that energy, that teen energy of like, these are the, it seems hard sometimes, crushes, right? Romance unrequited love, parents, principals, teachers, grades, all that kind of stuff. But also at the heart of that, just a bitch in time. So I think that's what makes, you know, Kyle, I try, I went down a sort of thinking about previous genres of teen films. Now, I love you mm. talking about American Pie, something more, more contemporary. I would put Clueless in that same camp, but I went back, Definitely. right? Think about like the Gidget Surfer teen beach movies of the 50s and 60s. And then later on, Mid 60s up through the 70s with the Russ Meyer teen exploitation vehicles. Think of uh, Faster Pussycat. What's another one? Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, right? You think about every teen movie genre, it was either a very stylistic, highly stylized thing, formula, or really kind of watered down and diluted. Where I think John Hughes gives you everything, right? He gives you a taste of authentic teen life the good and the bad you know the the teachers who are apathetic and the teachers who are engaged right romance boyfriend and girlfriend unrequited love carrying around your heavy books lockers that are a mess beat up sneakers rich kids poor kids it's giving you the whole kit and caboodle and that's what 
that's what high school felt like to me growing up. You know, you had all of those elements, the pleasant and the unpleasant. So I think that's what makes, you know, he sets, it's, it's kind of fantastic in a way because he sets most of his things in Northern Chicago, the Chicago mm-hmm. suburbs, affluent. If you look at his movies, look at Pretty in Pink, look at 16 Candles, look at things like Ferris Bueller, look at Home things Alone. like Home Alone. Right. It's all the same neighborhood. Maybe within the span of a decade or a decade and a half. So, but that's what I think makes his stuff so special. Even when you're looking at decades worth of teen filmic genres is that he brings really, he brings all of that. And I think that's what makes it feel so genuine is that he gives you, he gives you everything. He gives you a taste of everything. You know, what the family feels like, the understanding dad, the clueless grandma, you know, it's, it's just giving you everything. It's really giving you a taste of what it feels like to be a teen it's 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 really interesting and again just transcending time with the that timelessness of those things so that doesn't really change and i wanted to follow up with you because i threw so much at you do you remember the contemporary release of this film Mm. having been a child that's the thing i think about this film in a grouping it's strange because first of all dana our, our sister dana you're younger than me she, I was 10 going on 11 when this came out. She was a little bit younger, but she was already kind of in the throes of being interested, like like any teen girl in the 80s, right? uh, pre-teen girl in the 80s. She was already interested in all the teen stuff. So Sweet Valley High books, TV shows, the John Hughes films and all Dude, that. Dude, I read stuff. like so many of those Sweet Valley High books. Did you read those? Around, just because they were around the house. Yeah, when I was a kid. <laughs> That's oh, definitely. awesome. I read The Babysitter's Club probably. Babysitter's Club's another one. Yeah. That's so funny. That's why I'm so feminine. She yeah, was a anyway, big part of that. Dana was a big part of that in our household. But then I think of like the Brat Pack, of course, Molly Ringwald being at the center of that. And it's so funny. I don't remember seeing this film for the first time, but I remember probably watching it a little later in the 80s, maybe to the early 90s. And for some reason, really being into it, but also feeling like it was nostalgic already. And it was only what? At that time, five, six, seven years old, which is really interesting and strange. I think it shows you how fast things were moving from the 80s into the 90s when you think back like that. And the other strange thing was, for me, going back and watching this again this time, grabbing a cold beer, popping it on Hulu, I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought the stud romance character was Matt Dillon. I don't know what I was mm. thinking. Now, he's a very mm. Matt Dillon type, right? But I'm thinking, yeah. even as a kid, I think I was thinking, oh, that's the guy from Rumblefish or Outsiders or whatever. But it's not. Matt Dillon. Yeah. That was the other interesting thing was like, Helene not, was like, you crazy? That was not Matt Dillon. And I was like, I remember that being Matt Dillon for some reason. Michael Schofling, who I don't know this guy at all. He, he, I was reading about him. He stopped acting. I mean, he was just out. Yeah. You know, so I think he's like a furniture maker now or something. Yeah. He just did. Yeah. He did. I love shit like that just because it's like you could have it, but you don't want it. That's totally fine. It's you go and do something else. Yeah. I really, I really like that a lot because he's, I knew I recognized him. He's in Mermaids, that that share movie. That's where I knew that face from because that movie's awesome. Great, and, movie. Uh, hit me, Sergeant. Hit I love me, that, Sergeant. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that line. So yeah, that's that guy. But that, that's interesting because yeah, Dana. This is a very. I always kind of uh, associate these movies with Dana too. Just the style, not as an insult to her, but the bookishness of the character. Like they're good. She's you know like Molly Ringwald's character is like she's good and decent. Seems kind of like a Dana-ish character. And I think why it's funny because we always reach, I think, for the last generation stuff to make it make sense for us. And so I think that you could see a Gen Xer reaching for these films, even though they're a little young, 
you know, like yeah. at, at that time yep. for them. Because I think we all kind of grasp what they mean later on and they become part of our DNA, as it were, as people that watch films and and uh, interact in a interconnected society where everyone has these shared experiences with these films. That's why I'm so fascinated by fi- stuff in the 80s, films, games and toys and all that, because that was the last time we had singular focus because there was no or very, you know, you had maybe Usenet or something, but there was no Internet. There was nothing like that. Like you, you got newsletters in the mail. You got magazines. You sent, you know, your flag points to Hasbro or Kenner for your toys. And they came in eight weeks. And, you know, it, it's it's there's nothing like that anymore. So everything feels small and it's in and, and a good way in the best possible way. And I wanted to ask you about Molly Ringwald specifically. Who, oh, man. Of course, is awesome in this. Dennis Johnson wrote in and said, Molly Ringwald is the best actress to emote dramatic teenage heartbreak and romance of all time. And then he says, no cap. I, as I understand that, that means that he's not lying, but I'm too, I'm too old for that kind of chatter and that kind of talk. <gasps> Dennis, thank you for writing in. Molly Ringwald. Awesome. I agree. Molly Ringwald is exceptional. And I know she's had a very complex relationship with her movies over her career. I, I know she's had to kind of answer for them in some way which I think is weird. Yeah. And, and we, we've, we've talked about that in the past where it's like, it feels like she's, she, she, it feels like she's being, John Hughes is dead. And so it feels like a lot of people are just like, she's the next best thing to kind of defend what was going on in these films from all sorts of different perspectives. Some of which are, are, are real and some of which are obviously not. But what do you think about her performance in this? I mean, she is famous for another group of young kids, your kids age, because she's in, she was in or, I think still in stuff like Riverdale and you know, she was in the secret life of an American teenager for years and stuff, but we know her as this character in like six movies. And I'm just curious what you, what you make of her and, and her performance in this particular film, which it's very sad what you know, Sam Baker, they forget her birthday and stuff, but the surrealism begins for me immediately too, because when the, when the, when they have realized when the, the wedding date was set, they're like, oh, that's the day before Sam's birth. That's the day after Sam's birthday. Well, now I've immediately been like the Great thing that point. everyone knew. Great. Point. But anyway, anyway, what do you think about Molly Ringwald as Samantha Baker in this? She's awesome, dude. I mean, you feel like the John Hughes movies, especially the big four, you know, they feel like that's the quality that they have. They, those movies feel like they've always been there. That's why I think I can't think back to seeing them the first time. It's just like, oh, that's always been a thing since I've been alive. I'm almost 50 years old, you know, and I think. It's interesting to me because I think Molly Ringwald has a very similar quality, very unique. And like even thinking back to the late 80s and Molly Ringwald's face was everywhere, right? TV, movies, commercials, MTV, magazine covers. You know, you didn't go to a supermarket at the checkout line, those point of purchase impulse buy areas with the candy and the gum and the magazine. She, her face was on every magazine. I mean, she was huge, but you never got tired of seeing her. She had an appeal that never made her feel oversaturated. And I think when you look at her in this film and one of her fledgling outings and one of her biggest still over time, she's got this girl next door quality to her, but not in a homely way. She's still got a sort of exoticness, right? She's got the dark mm-hmm. eyes, the red hair. She's very, obviously very attractive, but she's, and she's got great charisma for a young actress, but also very believable as the average girl and relatable as sort of your hero that feels like a go-between character. Like she's not in the popular clique. 
She's not one of the nerdy kids. She's kind of longing and yearning to be, you know, in this movie, not really in the popular clique, but for the guy. But, you know, you understand that longing. She seems like a very believable, middle-of-the-road type high schooler who's just trying to make her way. But when you really look at her, she's quite beautiful. And I think they do a, a good job with that in Pretty in Pink, and we haven't gotten to that movie yet, where right. she she makes her way into the upper echelon of popularity with the rich kids and the popular kids because she's beautiful. That was the one quality that kind of has her sell her soul a little bit in that movie. But she ha- we see that on display here too. You know, she's just really a unique type. And I think it's true. She's gotten a lot of blowback, which is weird. And we talk about how these movies age and we'll, we'll get to that with um, John Hughes, you know, passing away over 10 years ago. And her, but her, I guess, always sort of rising above it. In fact, she was a big proponent of, which I read, I didn't know this doing a sequel to this film around 2008, about a year or so before John Hughes passed away. And they, she couldn't convince John Hughes to do it. He said, I don't see any reason for that. And they were sort of in the throes of trying to get John Hughes on board when he passed away. So wanting to, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. Molly Ringwald was so important to us growing up as this character, as this player, and knowing that it meant enough to her to return to that going into, you know, what far into the aughts, which is kind of cool that she, you know, that she was down for that still, which is kind of neat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dig, I want to talk to you about Anthony Michael Hall in this film. He's pretty interesting. He doesn't come in until later. Ted Farmer, Farmer Ted, the king of the nerds, king of the dipshits. His performance in this is really awesome. Like He's got great range. It's really interesting watching him play a totally different character back to back with 16 Candles and then well, really just the next year with Breakfast Club. What do you think of his performance? I mean, he's a he's an important player in these 80s films. He's one. He's like the Corys and and uh, obviously Molly Ringwald, and a few others where he's just he's just around Emilio Estevez and others. Sure. And I really like his presence in his films. Like, I feel like he brings a lot of emotion and I want to know more about him in this movie. I think one of the frustrating things about this film to me, and maybe he's the one that encapsulates encapsulates it best is just. They don't really linger or spend time with anyone. And so we, I want to know more about him and his crew and, and everything. And you can kind of glean information from it, but it moves so quickly. But he's like, he's kind of steals the show in his scenes. I love the dancing scene. The scene in the, <laughs> the, scene in the garage is awesome. Like in the, in the shop is really cool. He's great. And uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think of his performance and his character. Yeah, he's awesome. I forgot about that with him because... Obviously, a lot of time has passed, but, you know, I think he's kind of like the first character I can remember from a film who is the nerd who's not trying to be a nerd. You know, he's not coming in. I think I read somewhere that John Hughes auditioned a lot of people for this part, including like heavies like Jim Carrey and stuff. And I think John Hughes said like everybody came in doing the proto nerd thing. 
pocket protector, pants up to the rib cage, big glasses taped in the middle. And I think Anthony Michael Hall really embodies that character that we knew. Like I can remember kids like this in junior high and high school that I grew up with. Like they either didn't know they were a nerd or they were trying not to be a nerd. They were just authentically odd eccentric kids, but they wanted what the quote unquote normal popular people wanted. They wanted the girlfriend. They they wanted to hang out. They might've had a, a little bit of a sense of humor. They weren't, maybe they were into science, but they were a little more into like also like trying to fit in. They, they had that, the audacity to try to excel at that or to try to promote themselves that way. And maybe because they had the wherewithal or didn't have the wherewithal, they were just authentic, weird dudes. And I could totally, I don't know if I remember any girls like that, but I certainly remember guys like that. And I think I would argue that the Farmer Ted character is still the prototype in that thing. It's like that nerd who really doesn't think he's a nerd. You know what I mean? Really doesn't buy himself as a nerd. He thinks he's, he's friends with the other nerds, but as he says in the film, he sees himself as the king of the nerds. And that's such an authentic Type the only character or player that I could see also pulling that off is maybe Sean Astin of around the same time, you know, Mikey and Goonies. He has that same sort of quality as an Anthony Michael Hall, but I love it. And that, that's what makes it such a great character. He has that energy. He's he seems he seems like he's ha- he has that real that energy in real life. It's a genuine thing. And he's a little obnoxious, but still likable. And that's a hard thing to pull off. But he is an appealing character. He's he's hysterical. I love him. Yeah, he's he's great. And again, I think that his character is what brings out just this fatal flaw, I think, in 16 Candles. Although it doesn't really matter, which because it, it, it's still a great movie. But just you want to know more about everyone. You don't really get to know about everyone, which is why I just feel like everything is told through a very specific lens, obviously, of Molly Ringwald, of Sam. And so you see the resolution, as I mentioned earlier, of her kind of drama as it segues into her love of this random guy. And see, this is why I think that the weakness of 16 Candles is just like, who is what is going on here? I I wish that they it's a a little short, actually, the movie about 90 minutes. I feel like they could have spent another 15 minutes just with a few scenes establishing Molly's relationship with or Sam's relationship with her friend, establishing that she's into this random dude who we not don't know anything about right establishing who he is and what his personality is he seems like he's actually pretty normal and nice and i like that kind of i always liked that uh that character archetype of the popular guy who's actually normal and nice and is surrounded by morons so it 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 brings out some of this this maybe weakness in the storytelling i don't know why it's so quick why the runtime had to be so quick because you just you don't it doesn't feel grounded like okay so she's into this guy she's into this guy enough that it dominates her life the friend knows this he doesn't know this it's like let's let's explore this a little bit yeah give us a little more what do you make of uh of that particular character from this actor who we never see again basically michael shoffling i think that's how you say it again i know him from mermaids but this is one of his only films he does a pretty good job here, but it's interesting. He plays the very typical 80s rich dude who doesn't care that he's rich. Like, I do love his d- demeanor during the party in which, like, he just doesn't care what's happening around his house. It's pretty interesting. It, it shows, like, a person who is, like, imagine, like, they are ruining these pearls and he's letting 
the dude take the Royal Rolls Royce and they're just trashing this house and he doesn't seem to care. And he just goes into his room and shuts the door and his girlfriend's hair is stuck in the door. It's pretty funny, but he's a pretty stoic and interesting character. But you kind of wonder, like, what is this? This relationship doesn't feel real because I don't really know you and I don't know why she's into you. And what 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 is this? Because there is that iconic shot, probably the most iconic shot in the whole movie at the end when they're sitting, you know, Indian style facing the the cake at the end i mean that's an iconic shot oh it's so cool but it's i don't know he's an interesting you can kind of see why maybe this guy didn't pursue his acting too much but i don't know if that's through the writing or whatever uh because i would have liked to have known him better what 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 do you think of this character and and uh michael schlaffling as jake ryan yeah again remembering him as matt dillon right and you could see why he's a matt dillon type just as handsome Maybe three quarters of the acting chops of a Matt Dillon, who was considered one of the best actors of that generation. And uh, you could see maybe they got, you know, coupon Matt Dillon or something, but he does a good enough job. Definitely that cool, handsome James Dean type of guy for, for the 80s. And I like how you spoke to the aloof nature of the handsome slash, slash, you know, rich kid doesn't care what's happening to his house has the Rolls Royce in the garage, drives a Porsche Porsche himself. And, you know, I I could definitely, you know, we grew up with kids like that too, where it was like they were at the center of the high school universe and everybody revolved around them. And I love what these films hint at too, because I think we grew up with kids like this too. It's like the parents aren't around because the parents are off to Bermuda every month and jet setting and all that kind of stuff. Hence the rich kids. There's something really interesting about this character that I took away from this last viewing, Kyle, and I wanted to know what you thought about this. He doesn't really notice. Now, Samantha, Sam is obviously not a popular kid. She kind of pines for that a little bit, but she is a pretty girl, attractive girl. And it speaks to the aloof nature of the rich, popular kids that he wouldn't notice her until he sees her drop the sex quiz. Right, She fills out the sex quiz anonymously, but still embarrassingly, and then tries to hand it back to her friend, falls on the floor. He gets it, sees that it's from her, and she's writing all about him, writes his name in it. And then after seeing that sex quiz, then he becomes interested, which is a little sinister maybe, right? Like He, he even alludes to being able to take advantage of his drunk girlfriend later on. Oh yeah, it's to the super, farmer Ted character, right? Weird. He says, yeah. "I could, I could take advantage of her nine ways to Sunday, like right now, but I'm not going to do that, like type of thing." So, there's something about, there's something authentic about him not even noticing, as she says to her friend early on, that Sam exists until he finds that sex quiz. Now she's on his radar, which I'm not sure sure if that was accidental or if he's supposed to be that unsavory, but that's how, that's sort of the catalyst for this romance which is really interesting realistic maybe not the most romantic at least initially so that that's another interesting thing with this character where you know he's at the center of this thing and he does turn out to be a nicer guy again like you said the type of you know you would expect a certain type of behavior from the rich popular kid in the movie you know johnny from karate kid or even the guys that jake's hanging out with in the gym doing the chin-ups you know, he's hanging around with these gorillas that, you know, think they're so sophisticated and they're partying and all this kind of stuff. But he's a little more, he's got a little more of that poet's soul. You know, he's a little more of a nice guy than 
maybe his entourage. And he was 23 in this movie, which I think is so funny that the... Is that crazy? I just... I love the casting in the 80s. It's hard. Again, I, I feel like I'm always railing on this because I think it's so funny, especially just the women like his girlfriend when she's like getting her hair cut and you really got like a good look at her. And then she's she is kind of a prevalent you know member of the film later on. It's like you. What the fuck is this? Like you I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just because I'm not. I know it was like hot for women to look older and stuff back then. That's like that's what true. I was like looking. But it's like Shoulder you look like you're 35 years old, maybe. Yeah. And it's it's like I don't believe you in this role at all. It's just unbelievable. You you, it's just like I remember high school and girls didn't look like this. And but I think that maybe it was a little more true to form because I didn't go to school in 1984, of course. The 90210 uh, effect, I call it. Right, exactly. But they're yeah, obviously too old to be in high school, but there's just a movie. There's like a filmic quality to that that John Hughes probably started. Right, because back in Ginny and the beach movies of the fifties and sixties, they looked like kids hanging out with their surfboards on the beach. They looked like they could be in high school. Right. Became a thing, and I love that point about the eighties, where it's like the makeup, the high cheekbones, the shoulder pads, the teased hair. It was all about looking older. So thank God that was short lived. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And she even says that. Like, there's a really interesting line where she actually it's a really fun line where she talks about how she fantasizes about being like his wife, and they own that house, and they're the most popular adult. It's just like it's that's it's right. very linear and 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 believable, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Dave, we've gotten long enough though without talking about Long Duck Dong. Oh my goodness! Now I'm curious what you make of this particular character, and I personally I love this character. I think this character is hysterical. Oh, and so funny! Now is it is it you know, there's a question about, well, let's go to Kelly here. Let's let Kelly say it. I'll let her say it. So, howdy, come on, gentlemen. Come on, Kelly. I have always personally thought that 16 Candles was the best John Hughes movie because of the family dynamics within it. In recent years, I now hear about this movie is considered offensive and should not be well-liked as it is. Some consider the character of Long Duck Dong to be racist. Other, other consider the geek in Caroline's encounter to be sexual assault. What are your thoughts on these controversies about the movie now? I know how much Colin likes revisionist history. Do you think the movie suffers from that? Have a great day and thanks. So I want to talk about the sex stuff in a minute. Okay. Because I think the movie is perverse and I find that a little strange, but I want to begin with Long Duck Dong. This character, is the character racist? Yes. Yes. I would say that the answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. Indeed, I would argue that there's no purpose for him to even be in this movie. There's no actual storyline with him and all of that. However... I don't know if the intention was to be racist in the way that it's being taken. I think that the actor himself, what is his name? Um, I can't Watanabe. say. Watanabe. Gede? Gede, Gede Watanabe? Watanabe. Yeah. Who was in, I was reading about him. I remember now, like he was, he had a huge run in ER and stuff. So he's done a lot of other things. But mm. his interpretation of it apparently was not, he was saying that John Hughes was likely trying to put a spin on it where you would expect him to be a bookish nerd. And instead, he's like a wild child. And I think that that is awesome. Like, it is awesome. He is hysterical. The scenes with him on, like, the exercise bike and shit or when he's when he's got his head on the woman's laugh, like, next to her next to her tits. It's like hysterical. It's, 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 it's oh legitimately hysterical. It's absolutely like laugh out loud funny. But I think because it has the affect of the and they call him the Chinaman and all this kind of stuff, but it has the affect of like the off the boat Chinese guy. Yes. In which he is the only person who's not white in which his arc doesn't seem to really have any relevance other than to poke fun at him. 
is strange and, and worth pointing out. I don't think you can like run away from that. I think it's pretty obvious. I just don't know. So what I'm saying is that I think the intention, as sinister as it sounds, was racist. But I don't think it was racist in the way it was taken, which is which is kind of a funny way to put it. Like it's I don't think it was it was supposed to be a it was supposed to make fun of Chinese people, I guess. But it was supposed to be like, oh, this is a cool Chinese person. And that in in itself is racist. So sure. I, I, so I, I do believe that. But I still think that even without the revision. Because I don't like revisionist history. It's funny. He's a funny character. If you can just take it for what it is, they're not they're they're like when they find him drunk. That's like so funny. It's so authentically funny when he's at the dinner table and he's talking about what does he say? I have the I have the quote pulled up here. He says something like, uh, ah, very clever dinner. Appetizing food fit neatly into interesting round pie. It <laughs> sounds like and it's he's a like, quiche. And he's like, it's a quiche. How do you spell it? And he's like, you don't spell it, son. You eat it. It's like really great 80s comedy, you know. I love that grandfather character, too. We'll get into that. Oh, my God. He's out of control. But what do you make of this long duck dong? Let's start there. Is he co- as controversial as it seems? I mean, I think we both agreed when we did Goonies that data was a little racist, but I think that this is a little more over the top. Absolutely. I mean, I think this character was arguably created as fodder for comedy, pure comedy vehicle for, for the film, right? But it does come off now as racist. And let me tell you why. I heard John Hughes talk to this point, actually. I think in the 80s or early 90s, so this was years ago, and he was saying, first of all, I was I, I got to get to the core of this. I was very confused in watching this again of the whole exchange student thing, because my idea, and this is probably just my ignorance, but my idea of an exchange student was, okay, and in this case, an American student would have went to China and a Chinese student went here. For instance, when Helene was in high school, she did an exchange program. She went to England and then the English student came to Pennsylvania, okay, for a summer or whatever. So I thought that's how it always worked. But apparently John Hughes was saying this was a thing. Now, I don't know if he was saying this was a thing that started in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Obviously, we're in the 80s in this film. But where older, I guess, elderly, more grandparent type of people would bring, would sponsor an exchange student from an Asian country. Let's say the Philippines, China, whatever. And the appeal of that to these empty nesters was... Well, you know, the American, the irreverent nature of the American teen and they're disrespectful and rock and roll and they don't know how to act anymore. Getting this teenager from another country was like getting almost like an old timey taste of like what a teenager was to them in the old days. Mm. More respectful, reverent, polite, all this type of thing. So oftentimes these grandparents, they didn't have kids or or grandkids in the house anymore. So they would, they would sponsor these children. They would come over and they would stay with them for a summer. And the grandparents are joking around that they're kind of putting them, almost like treating a poor long duck down in a slave capacity, almost like mowing the lawn and doing the laundry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, fun, right? that conversation's funny, yeah. <laughs> so I understand, like, okay, it's funny that this, this strange Asian boy would pop up in Sam's bedroom. It's kind of funny. But they're doing racist things like every time he comes on screen especially in the first half of the film they they play that stereotypical racist chinese music right yeah at the dinner scene he's holding the utensils upside down and using them as chopsticks right so there are things that are blatantly definitely racist it's not 
the conceit of like the the Chinese exchange student. What was at the core of the comedy? You're doing these other things, unfortunately, with the chopsticks and the and the music and the affectations and stuff. But what really what it was supposed to be was like, no, this Chinese kid that they think is like the next coming of what a, a teenager should be is just as bad as the American kids, if not worse. That was supposed to be the comedy. Unfortunately, they handled it. They could have handled it a little better. It doesn't. I, I was going to say it doesn't age well, but there's stuff in this movie that was racist in 1984. No question. There's another scene before I forget to talk about it, Kyle. It doesn't have to Please. do with Long Duck Dong, but there's a scene, you may have caught it in the beginning of the film, where Sam's walking down the hallway with her friend, Randy, and she's kind of commiserating about my family, forgot my birthday or everything. I have this fantasy about, and she talks about getting like a new Trans Am. Like she's going to get her license, she's going to get a Trans Am. And she's saying, uh, and her friend goes, a black Trans, a, a pink, Oh, a black, she says a black Trans Am. Oh, she says, I want it black or whatever. And the friend's like, oh, a black guy. And she's like, oh, she's like a black guy. And Sam's like, no, a black Trans Am and a pink guy. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's a weird thing. Especially when you have such a, I think there are multi, there, there's other races of kids. Like you see at the dance, you see some black kids, you see some Asian kids. So it seems like a realistic suburb of the 80s. But that was like a thing that that's a line in the movie that doesn't age well. Like that the friend would be so surprised that Sam would be interested in a black guy. It's like, oh, like cringe. That's a cringy moment. Mm. So I think some of the law, the Donger stuff does age a little cringeworthy. But I would argue that, that if I was old enough to realize what was going on when I had seen this movie initially, it would have been cringeworthy then. In other words, two. Yeah, yeah, I I caught that as well. I I was thinking about John Hughes's filmography as you were talking because I'm like, does he? I'm looking just quickly through everything. It's like, are there any black character main characters in any of his movies? Like, in yeah, any of I was his biggest the same movies? thing. Not that there has to be necessarily, but you think about like I'm going through everything. Some kind of wonderful no plane trains and automobiles. Ferris Bueller no pretty in pink no weird science no no. Uh, Breakfast Club, obviously, no. Sixteen Candles, no. Baby, no. Home Alone, no. So I mean, it's Uncle it's Buck. it's interesting. Yeah, Uncle Buck, obviously, that was one. You know, and I know a lot of his stuff is autobiographical or reverential. Right. I'm not of saying I'm not calling John Hughes racist, but no, no, no. I don't think he was. I honestly don't think he was. I, I just mean, maybe, think maybe was. I don't know. you know what I mean. In entertainment, I guess things were acceptable or they were borderline acceptable back then to the masses. But that's definitely that something that would have struck a chord with me, even as a teenager had i seen this initially as a teenager been like that's weird that's a weird take and also foreign to us growing up where we did on long island where it was as we've talked about many times you know very mixed with religions and races and socioeconomically and all that kind of stuff like we were we were all together you know we really were not that there weren't there wasn't one side of the tracks and the other side of the quote-unquote tracks that did exist where we grew up but we all were together in public schools. We were friends. We hung out, sporting events, all that kind of things, growing up together. So, you know, it wasn't a thing. We didn't, you know, but maybe, I don't know, maybe Northern Chicago was like that in the 80s. Or, you know, actually, it's important to say, John Hughes is, was born in 1950, same as our parents. So he would have been in his early to mid-70s now had he survived. So that's another thing, too. He's a, I think he was kind of a younger soul, but he was a baby boomer. Man, he you yeah. know he was he was born in 1950. 
Kelly had also brought up the point about just the sexuality in the movie. This is what I think hit me over the head the most. Okay. I found it very strange. I don't know what that was all about. There's a lot of it. And I wrote down some of it. Like, right off the bat, there's the brother making the weird comment about his sister's period. This is a thing that goes throughout <laughs> the entire film. And then the dad agrees and is like, where'd you learn that? And he's like, oh, you know, like, and he's happy that he knows. And then there's the comment about her tits. And then the, the grandma grabs the girl's boobs. And there's just like a lot of really weird shit. There's the, the comment about when they're in the in the shop. There's like the boner comment about the battery in his pocket. And sure. it just seems to be like, obviously, the whole thing with Long Duck Dong and the chick's big boobs. And now he's like obsessed with them. It's hysterical. It's It's totally hysterical. But. It is over the top perverse and I think gets to the point of being weird in some in some instances. The whole period thing, I think, is just strange, for instance. What do, what do you think? Did, did, that's, did the sexuality and kind of the perverse nature of the movie strike you at all? Yeah. You know what's interesting, Kyle? As you say that, it seems like it might be a little pandering towards that early to mid 80s expectation of what people want to see, like a Porky's animal house-esque type thing where coming out of the 60s and 70s you really didn't see that in comedy then it was about graphic nudity and having those shocking moments that whole flavor of comedy that was of the animal houses and porkies and maybe putting that in there a little artificially where it's like i think of like the caroline shower scene where it just like cuts to her her boobs like her yeah. her bare boobs and it's like that wasn't even necessary like you could see sam and her friend talking about, oh, look how sophisticated she is and that body, how can we compete with that? Like, that type of thing without having to see that. Like, it seemed like it was a bridge too far. Like, not even in a... I'm not saying that in a prudish way, but did it really need to go there? And then also talking about with the Jay character, that conversation that he's having with Farmer Ted in the kitchen where he's like, I have, you know, Caroline passed out upstairs. I could take advantage of her you know, all night if I wanted to, that type of thing where it's like those things, I don't even know if it's a, it's, it's a thing of aging. It's just in a, it's uncomfortably inappropriate where it even may detract from the comedy a little bit. And I'm not, that's not somebody who's being approved. That's somebody who's like, it's just kind of, it, it crosses over into unnecessary. I think if not a little bit ugly, which is a strange look. And you know, people had to make, it's a decision that they had to put that, they had to print that. You know, not only did they film that, but they decided to edit it in, splice it, keep it. So it, it is a strange thing in retrospect. And it would be interesting to hear the filmmakers speak to that. Like what was behind those decisions? I'm not really sure. Yeah, because it the, the sexual proclivities and, and whatever kind of the 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 facade of this possibility of sexual assault or whatever is definitely real. Like. That's why I think this this idea of this Jake Ryan character, who I know is, is still considered like one of the great hunks of the 80s in this film. Sure. And uh, I, I it's just like, but he's kind of talking about raping his girlfriend and also handing him handing her off to another guy and basically telling him he can do whatever he wants to her just to make sure he gets gets her that's, home right that's a that's so another huge then point. they do have sex i mean it's implied that they do have sex and that neither of them remember it and i think that's funny just in the sense that now they're kind of like into each other yeah know? they hit it off so it makes it right. a little more it makes it a little better but still weird 
Yeah. So I, I think that that is, I don't want to say it's, you can say whatever you want in a movie. I'm not going to ever say anything's too far, but for my comfort level, I'm like, mm, because you can have se- themes of sexual assault and rape and whatever in your movies. That's totally fine. But we got to look at the character that through that lens. Then I don't know that Jake is just this anodyne <laughs> character. If, if all of this stuff is true, I mean, he gives farmer ted the the rolls royce after farmer ted is bombed tells him he doesn't know how to drive doesn't have a license doesn't have insurance so it puts a it puts that character in an interesting context which is why i feel like the movie does have this really this this surrealist nature to it where it's like it nothing, does, you know it's it, that's it, a great point with the surrealist sort of look and feel it, it's funny too Kyle Colleen's like what is wrong with you and it makes me realize like maybe I did see this movie when I was 10 initially because I was even thinking going in with the Donger character he develops that romance with the with the athletic chick I right. had remembered that as the gym teacher that would have been real weird and Helene's like, what is wrong with you between Matt Dillon and the gym teacher? Like, have you seen this movie? And it might have, that might have been like, I was just remembering my earliest viewing of maybe I was 10 or 11 when I saw it. And that's what I thought, you know, they're riding the the bike together. They're doing it. It's obviously this Dude, big the bike scene chick. is just, I, that is like one of the funniest. Visi- they must've been dying while filming that on the set. Visibly like- that gag is just from a physical comedy perspective. How can you not laugh out loud? Like, what are they doing? Like, what are they doing? And the and it's so funny too. The other funny scene with him and that girl is when he he pulls up and drops her off at the party or whatever, and uh, or at the, the dance or whatever he's doing. But he's like totally comfortable driving the car. He's got like his arm around her. He's smoking a cigarette and like <laughs> drinking. It's so good. I mean, it's like they make him into this totally worldly Chinese man. You know, he's like, badass. Like, he's badass. More badass than the teenagers that the grandparents are putting this kid up on the pedestal. But he's worse than the grand. You know, their grandkids. The other thing about Jake is, what did you? The other thing that's kind of makes his character a little questionable is like he wants Sam's underwear. Yes, right? that's also another thing. Like he and, gets and, ex- it, everything's in exchange for those underwear. Now, you if he put it in a certain context of like. Listen, you need to give me those because I don't want that's disrespectful to her. And I'm going to take these and we're going to solve it right now. Throw them in the trash. But he just takes them. He just wants them. Yeah. Like, wasn't that the implication, though? Like, originally was it was something like Ted was going to get the panties to prove that he was with her. Yeah. He convinces her and he gets them, convince them or whatever with her with her consent. Right, exactly. Right. Then they do the funny scene in the bathroom where they show him off, and I love that scene where it's actually I wrote I wrote it that it's like what are you, what year are you? Give me a buck, get in. Yeah, you know, like they got they got it's so good. <laughs> so like they're selling access to this thing where they're gonna see this girl's underwear, but then it does seem that Jake is trying to get them to chill, like squash the situation for her, but then never really that no, nothing ever comes of that. Afterwards. Yes. So, so it is a little read it that way, but maybe not. Right. Like, I don't right. know. Like, I, I think this I first I personally think this Jay character is super weird. Like, is he being a hero? Is he being a pervert? And if he's being a pervert, does that humanize him a little bit? But is this the type of vehicle where you want to humanize, uh, dehumanize this character too much? You want him to be appealing. Like, we love Sam. She's so likable. We're rooting for her. So that love interest that she's vying for, we want him to be worthy of her. But is he? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's no, exa- that's exactly right. I, I and you brought up the the point earlier, which I think is is just really interesting. Like he doesn't even seem to know her at all until he finds the letter. That was the other thing, too. I did like that scene where and, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this, which was 
class notes, like passing notes and all oh, that. Oh, my gosh. Is that a thing? Because you have kids. Is that a thing they still do? They probably have no need to do that anymore. I mean, why would you why would you do that when you can just text each other and or do use anything on your phone that will be more private? Because I always always think like when she does that and stretches and drops the thing or whatever and the girl doesn't notice it's like there's all these ways to get intercepted and i remember being in classes where people got their notes intercepted i remember that i remember that and it's like oh like and i just feel like that must be a dead thing there's no need to do that anymore were you a note person yeah i remember that dude and yeah that was the ultimate defeat like getting your private note taken away God forbid it had any information in it about crushes, which I mean, that was kind of the point, right? And it, the boys didn't tend to get involved too much in that, but we did get notes from girls. So it's like if we had a little girlfriend in junior high school, whatever, they would give us notes. The girls definitely passing things back and forth. I have to ask Lilia if that's a thing anymore. She's in ninth grade now, but the thing is they have their smartphones in school. They're not allowed to use them, but when they're in the cafeteria, like I'll even get a text from Lilia. So I'm sure she's texting her friends. Of course. And she has friends in other schools and other places too. So that aren't in the building with her. So I'm, um, and her friends from dance. So yeah, that's a thing that I, I'm sure the smartphone has replaced the, uh, you know, remember that mash thing that they do with the, it's like the thing that's like the paper. Oh yeah. Like the, Rubik's yeah, yeah. You thing. do this. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Right. I, and yeah, when I was in middle school, I used to pass a lot of notes. I think I picked that up from Allie because mm. Allie used to like keep her notes in like these shoe boxes. I remember and put them in her room or whatever. And I remember being like, oh, that's oh, cool. she kept them all. Yeah, I think I don't know if she has them anymore, but I remember she that would be keep amazing them. to have. Yeah. those. Oh, wow. my God. Just a whole legacy of weird shit. But yeah, it, it, there was when I was in high school, it was the brief moment when Nextel was big. Oh, and sure. Remember, remember that like the beep, like the chirping thing. And I remember you could if. My friend Corey had it and it didn't last more than a day, but like where you could chirp him and to just say something. So like it would chirp in class and did you just say it? So it would just go not only chirp, but then be like, <laughs> how long did it give you? It so would be like, well, because I, I think you could hold it forever because remember it was originally for like uh, they, they originally played it up for like construction workers and shit like that. And his dad yeah. was a contractor. I think that's why he had it. But yeah, so you okay. could just hold it down as long as you had another another one of those phones sprint later bought them and that wasn't a thing but oh, people should so look into the, like a walkie talkie right people should in look into way. that that was like a thing for a minute the next hell phone it wow. was a total i don't know if you remember that at all but i remember i that. remember that i, I could even go back early to the sky pager or you know just pagers and i was you know i graduated in 92 that was a thing probably in 90 or 91 where they called an assembly and were like there's no pagers like that was the earliest iteration of having some sort of form, modern form of communication outside of paper and pencil, you know? So yeah, that, and then of course, Nextel and then cell phones and then smartphones. And now it's, you know, paper is all but obsolete. Indeed. Dave, let's talk about the grandparent characters. There's four of them. (laughs) I'm just curious if you have anything to say about these characters. I love, I love these different groupings of grandparents. It reminds me a little bit of Seinfeld, just in the sense that there are two distinct groups of, grandparents you have the, the Costanzas and the Seinfelds and and how they're kind of different one is a little more normal but neurotic one is just totally out of control what do you make of these four characters and their uh their introduction and they're used to the film I think I think they're great especially oh, they're the so older fun. couple they're they're awesome <laughs> they're ama- they're amazing they feel so genuine I love you know it's really kind of clever to set this whole thing during the older sister's wedding weekend because then you get to see you get to have the grandparents and the people staying over and it compounds the whole situation adding insult to injury to forgetting sam's birthday because everybody as you said 
even though it's the day before the wedding, you think people would remember that very pronounced date, but everybody forgets her birthday, including the, the grandparents. So it's pretty exaggerated, which is hilarious. And I love having the two sets of grandparents. It kind of smacks of reality to me. It's like having the more, maybe slightly older, warmer, more um, genteel grandparents, and then having the hipper, preppier, more irreverent grandparents with her chain smoking and not knowing how to cook. And the other grandpa being, you know, sort of like always making jokes. Grandpa Fred, dude, that guy's out of control. Like he's got, he's like slightly wall-eyed. Like he looks a little manic, which is, you know, I love having those two distinct sets of grandparents. And it reminds me so much of my grandma, who was our grandma, who was like the best grandma. And the interesting thing about our grandma is she was really a blending of the two. Like she was very warm, very maternal, very nurturing. But she also chain smoked and she also was very hip and young at heart. Like she fashion was really important to her hairstyles, shopping. She was very energetic. She did the driving. Our grandfather didn't drive. Grandma drove everywhere. So she our grandma was really cool. Like she was a really proper blend of those two grandmas, which I think is kind of a rare thing. Like I remember how cool she was, but how wonderful like and warm she was. So she was like kind of a nice grouping of the two. But it, it is kind of cool to have the grandparents in the house and the way they're cursing out the Jay character on the phone and the other ones are grabbing Sam's boobs and making mm-hmm. irreverent jokes and just being a little bit, you know, not... He's like, who, <laughs> who, who? We got an owl in the ha- hallway here. Corny jokes. Yeah, it's so... I, re- I thought of you with that. That was... Yeah, they're great. And I, I the one younger-looking grandma was apparently like a, 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 a peer of... Lucille Ball, which I didn't know. I was reading a little oh, bit about, wow. about them. Yeah. Like they were together back in the day. When the that's Desi Carol Lou Cook. Days. Yeah. yeah. The, Carol, the chain smoking. The one with right. the donuts open in the box. Yeah, of yeah. That scene, by the way, is just amazing. Like so with good. the with the, the spatula. <laughs> the spatula. <laughs> it's so good. Like it is so good. There's a lot of really good, funny slapstick scenes. that I don't think John Hughes gets enough credit for for putting that frenetic shit in his movies to break things up. Home Alone, I think, probably does it the best, especially at the first 20 minutes of that movie. It's just really fast. Yes. And uh, and I like that. Yeah, she's just opening the Entenmann's box. It looks exactly the same as it does today. Yeah, she's got the spatula over the... The, <laughs> the two the different cigarette. types of grandma. The one cooking breakfast and the one that you know just eats out three meals a day. Right, you know, right exactly. Just Good orders stuff. at restaurants. Jacob wrote in and said, One thing I appreciate about Hughes as a writer are his more heartfelt scenes where no joke or conflict is the driving force. The conversation between Samantha and her father in the living room near the end of the film is so sweet and sincere. It feels like a candid moment between a father and a daughter coincidentally caught on film. Some of Hughes's movies can be relentlessly crass and a little abrasive, especially this one. So I always appreciate the quiet, loving moments he fits in the film. Even without the crassness, I think that there are certain scenes in this film that really stick out to me. That is one of them, which I really like, like when they break the tension. Another scene I really like actually is one I said earlier when they're in the shop in the car. That that is a totally crass scene, but I think it's a really good heartfelt scene about Molly Ringwald. Like women, God, you feel bad for women. I still feel bad for women because I know how guys can be. Like they they're expected to be so patient, and yes. it's ridiculous. Like what they have to put up with. I think about that all the time. But she's in this situation with this like really horny dude who just wants to score, and because he's so endearing, as some some interesting like buffoonish character who tries to crawl on top of her it doesn't even make any sense why would he get on top of her like it's so there's a lot of, it's like very funny when when you think about that like he tries he to I mean, they have no the idea cues. what they're doing yeah they Completely have no idea ignorant. what they're doing yeah yeah it's so funny i love when he tries to crawl on top of her i was like that is so funny 
that is something that a man would would do to a girl like when they're 16 at that age uh, yeah right what do you think about some of the the more quiet and sentimental scenes in the film that that certainly you know what it, you know what I, I was thinking about with bender in breakfast club the next year like some of the mo- the most powerful scenes in that movie are the sentimental scenes where it's like clear that he has a horrible upbringing the principal like basically gonna beat the shit out of him in that one scene you know those are the scenes that i think shake things up and make the movie feel so human in between especially in 16 candles the the slapsticky almost almost like caddyshack half the time you know and so it's cool to bring it down a notch what do you think about some of these scenes any yeah it's an awesome point it's an awesome point dude when you have so much silliness and humorous business going on and you bookend it with that and you lead in with that those serious moments are really punctuated by that. John Hughes's his writing and his direction is really, really adept at doing that, like really punctuating those serious moments where you're almost waiting for the joke because you're so used to that. You're so conditioned by that point. And sometimes they do a little line and have some levity in there to make it pleasant and to make it realistic. But I like that the scene with Farmer and Sam in the car is really interesting because, yeah, when you think of a girl that age, they're already going through... I like what you're saying about sympathizing with that because it's true. Like already at that age, you're dealing with like the male aggression. You're dealing with having that constant deflection, but you're trying to do it politely. And then when you do kind of consent or get a boyfriend, you don't want to be perceived as a slut. It's like a crazy juggling act and, and double standard for women, you know? So it, it does make you sympathize. Certainly. And the father daughter moment is really refreshing because used to seeing movies like this then and now and prior where it's like, oh, the dad just doesn't get it. You know, the girl with dad issues. So to see like a sympathetic and empathetic dad and his daughter, not a dad and son, but a dad and daughter specifically, and to see that they have some sort of bond, they have a relationship and a trust, and they have, you know, obviously a history together. She's 16 now. So to have that sort of relationship was really cool. And maybe a little unexpected in a movie like this because, you're again, you're expecting everything to be a, a, a vehicle for delivering the comedy. And you just have like a heartfelt moment in there. So, again, making it feel like real life with the comedy and the heartfelt moments. A little bit of everything thrown into the pot makes it feel makes it feel realistic. What do you think about the core of the story of this this idea of the birthday and of forgetting the birthday? I've thought about this through this lens before in, in that... I don't like my birthday. I've never liked my birthday. However, and, and I don't like people fussing over it. I certainly don't like people fussing over it. However, yeah. it would be pretty dark nonetheless if no one remembered it. And it's almost one of those things where you have to be, in my opinion, for me, where you have to be careful what you ask for. Now, Sam in this film doesn't ask for that to happen or it just does. And I'm wondering how you feel about your own birthday and the possibility of that happening to you. Like it, it seems impossible for that to happen, which is why I think the movie again feels so surreal because it just doesn't seem possible that you, especially today that you could forget because every, everything reminds you when it's people's birthdays and <laughs> it's shit. True. Right. <laughs> That's a but, great point. But, uh, how do you feel about the possibility of that happening to you? Like, would you, how would you feel if you were in Sam's position? Do you think? Yeah, man, I can't, First of all, I don't know anybody that that's ever happened to in my 48 years. Have you ever met anybody that that's happened to? I don't think so, no. It is pretty drastic. It's probably the most exaggerated thing you could imagine and think about, like channel a 16-year-old girl. Like not only is it a birthday for a teenage girl, but like one of the most iconic birthdays, the Sweet 16. It's a very important milestone. So for everybody in your family 
everybody in your family to forget about that, including the grandparents, parents, three siblings, all that kind of stuff, and really wrapped up in another event, which is the wedding of the older sister. It's a really, it's a pretty nightmarish thing to imagine, even for someone like you and I who don't necessarily like being the center of attention. We don't feel like we want to be doted on. You still, I guess there's this instinctive thing about just being recognized on your birthday, right? Every, you're alive another year. You were born on this date. It's celebrating the day you came into the world and all that. And for everybody to forget. And I think you got to imagine even Sam in the movie, she handles it pretty well. I mean, she's pretty upset by it, but she is forgiving, right? When her parents do each come around and recognize like, oh shit, we totally forgot type of thing. She handles it graciously. Yeah, man, I can't even imagine. I wonder if there's anybody out there listening to our show who that has happened to or maybe know somebody who that's happened to because it's certainly something within the realm of possibility. Things get busy, certain things conflate. It's just a crazy time for everybody involved, whatever, and every literally everybody forgets. I'm imagining it could be just as bad if maybe half the people forget or the key mm. people don't remember. Like, right. let's That's say what your I'm, friends yeah. remember or a sibling, yeah. but your parents both forget. Right. Pretty right. ugly. It is. It is. It's, uh, it's, and, you, and I like how you brought up her, her kind of calm and poise. Like she's very much, there's a, a weird dichotomy in this movie between her being very mature, which a lot of, a lot of, this is the, the tightrope. I think a lot of girls walk, which is like, they, they're more mature than boys at that age, but they're still kids. And yes, and so absolutely and obviously and obviously they've always had this women and girls have always had this kind of uh reputation as just growing up a little faster so she's caught in between that that tightrope which is which is interesting and yeah she's a very likable character in this movie oh, she great. doesn't she doesn't really do anything wrong like she's she's not there's no she doesn't do anything she's the victim but i, I actually i'm glad you brought up the sister what did you think about the sister and husband characters i love that scene when they're at at dinner and they're doing shots or whatever like and he's like he's like you do shots come on wolf it <laughs> to the mom it's so good what do you think about the those two characters and kind of the way it all ends where they're like it's it, it, it ends in a very it's very slapstick it's shocking yes. how slapstick it becomes she's trying to eat the rice while they're like throwing the rice up and and she's just totally bombed during you know on muscle relaxers during the entire the entire scene. What what do you think about those interactions and and their acting and stuff? It's so funny, man. Yeah, shout out to Blanche Baker. I think she went on to do a lot of acting. Who plays the older sister, Ginny? I think she went on to do a lot of acting, maybe even some directing. But she's really funny in this. I mean, she does. She's really does some really great broad physical slapstick humor at the end with you know jumping up and trying to catch the rice and ripping her clothes off and trying to lay down on the church steps and stuff. But that whole thing. First of all, I think Ginny Baker was, or the character uh, Blanche Baker was almost 30 when she did the part. So again, that 90210 effect of being a lot older than, well, I mean, she's the older sister, so you could imagine, but she did seem, she had the same effect as as the Caroline character was like, she looks a little too old to be playing that part, but maybe less so than the Caroline character. But that whole thing with lampooning the fiance and the parents was that poking fun at Italians? Was that poking fun at New Yorkers? The guy kind of alludes to being in the mafia. The dad does the father-in-law does. And then, yeah, the, the fiance or the, the groom to be is just kind of like a buffoon. 
So it's like, what's the appeal there? It's it's Wolf hilarious. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very it's no well because she says at one point, you know, because it's it's the appeal is that she he's into her for like six consecutive months. That's what she yeah, says. Yeah, that's like, it, right? And he's talking. I, I like that scene where he's like, "Well, you look, but you can't touch, right?" And I was like, "Oh, sensitive." But you know what's so funny about the big sister? Like, she seems like she's on ether even before the whole muscle relaxer thing. Later on, like, she has this really strange nature where she's very soft spoken, almost like half asleep. I think it's one of the funniest moments in the film where Sam's like trying to confide. She's getting ready. She's putting like lemons on her elbows and stuff. And Sam's trying to confide in her. And as soon as she's listening, Sam's listening to her sister and being a good listener. And then as soon as Sam opens up, she gets like one sentence deep. And the sister's like, I don't have any time for this. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. And you just see, yeah, it's true. Like Sam is such the victim in this film. Like she just, she can't catch a break. And it's, it's amazing how likable she is. As a result of that, you're really rooting for her, you know, more so than any heroine I could think. off the top of my head in a film like you're really rooting for her to get the guy and you're hoping jake's on the up and up and that it worked and it does it's a very romantic ending actually i think it's really sweet yeah it is it is what do you think uh just a few more things i want to touch on yeah the uh casual use obviously in historical relativism of words like retard fag faggot Mm. things like that does that stick out to you does that give you pause in showing this film to your kids or anything like that it's just I was remarking to, to Micah, I'm like, it's so interesting how times have changed. Like, there was nothing about this that was weird, you know, and even 15 years ago, there was nothing about this really that was that weird. It changed and, uh, over time. Yeah, and, and things have really changed. Like, I don't, I'm one of those guys that doesn't really mind the, the, the use of the word retard. It's not something I throw around, you know, but it's, you know, publicly, certainly I wouldn't say something like that. But even in private settings, words like fag and faggot are just... They're tough. You know, like those are tough words. I, I, I cut those out of my vocabulary many, 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 many moons ago. And so even though you're seeing something before those moons had passed that was filmed at that time, it still sticks out to me. And I do wonder about the historical relativism of these films and the way that they're shown to people today. Did any of that stick out to you uh, as being, you know, the, the use, flagrant use of the word Chinaman, for instance, many times oh, as well? God. Yeah, I mean, in, in modern parlance, in 2022 context, some of those words are pointed. You know, the word faggot, too, is like, whoa, like, it's just sharp. Like, it, yeah, it and, almost, and, like, and, and, and by the way, it's not like a, it's not like some flubbish, stupid character saying it. These are all coming out of the word. These are all coming out of normal characters mouths, which is yeah. what makes it so interesting. I think. It's true. The protagonist, I mean, the farmer Ted character is saying, it. you know, and it's like, wow, like it's it is crazy to think how things evolve. Now, I wouldn't stop my kids from watching it, but it is important. To them, it's right on their radar. They hear that stuff and they they immediately know, like, we don't talk like that. So to have that conversation of, like, it evolved. Like, when we said retard growing up in the late 70s, early 80s or whatever, you were calling someone a stupid person, you know? And then you, you grow up and realize, like, okay, that's not... I do remember using that word as a little kid and saying, oh, such and such is a... And then Brookhaven Elementary, I don't know if you remember this, when I was going to school... Back in the 70s and early 80s, we were next to a, another little school building yeah, that yeah. was learning support kids. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Right in so front of kids, the, right in front of the, like to the, the front right of the school. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So, and we shared a play, what, one of the playgrounds, we shared a playground with them and mom and dad would make that point. I was in second or third grade and you can't talk like that because you, you're, you're around these kids who are learning support 
you're sharing a playground. It's insensitive. You can't speak like that. So I do remember mom and dad being on top of that, but it's so funny. It's so interesting with words like faggot and stuff, how it's just, it's not those words. It's interesting when you look at it with another word, right? Like let's take, I'm, I'm fascinated with the word cool because the word cool never went away. It's an extreme example of the situation, but the word cool never fell out of popular use. It always meant the same thing. So look how that word evolved and then look how the word faggot evolved, right? And then you trace it all the way back to what faggot initially meant years and years ago and, you know, that type of thing. So it's so interesting to track the evolution of language. And now, I mean, you're looking at a movie that's 37 years ago. It's not that, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it's not that long ago, you know, for, for that usage to have changed so drastically, it's very interesting. You know, but it is even as a 48 year old man who grew up with it being another way. Now you hear it and you're, you're just as jarred by it as everybody else because you're like, wow, like, you know, that it's not that didn't age well. You know, and, and that's one of the that's one of the interesting conversations about a movie like this. It's not just how the entertainment holds up, which it does, but seeing those different bits and pieces that may have not aged like everything else, you know like some of the players, like like the story, like John Hughes's work. It's like, yeah, things change. What did you think of the soundtrack? The, mm. uh, the, both the score and the soundtrack, I think are, I love how flagrantly new wave it is in an 80s, just lots of synth, very of the time. Lots of good stuff in here, that, you know, and some big songs too, like The Vapor is Turning Japanese is in there. You have uh, Oingo Boingo in there and Spando Ballet is in there with True and you have Night Ranger and Kajagugu. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Plus, I mean, the bigger songs, Thompson Twins is in there. Stray Cats does the 16 Candles title track. Yes. What do you what do you make of the uh, soundtrack? It's awesome. I mean, you always I think of the big movies, the big four with John Hughes. The soundtrack was such a big part of that. Think of the Breakfast Club. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like just like the vital nature of music. In a teenager's life, not just then, but now too. It's like the importance of music in this movie is just like it would be to Sam or one of the or Farmer Ted or one of the protagonists. It's like that's a that's part of the foundation, and uh, it's nice that that play, the music is a character. And another thing that makes it feel very contemporary. I know John Hughes was a musician himself, and he was very into music and kind of fancied himself as somebody who kept up with that through the years and was always kind of on the at the tip of the spear when it came to relevant music and rock music and good music, like like a Cameron Crowe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really on display. You know, it makes it feel one of those things that makes it feel like an authentic, you know, you're punctuating scenes, you're punctuating moments with the appropriate music, with music that would have been relevant to the kids at that time. And um, that's one of the things that's not like, you know, it's like those things you see, right? A TV show, maybe an older show, an older movie, even newer films. You know when things are made by people that aren't really in the know, or they're made by a committee of people that just feel like they're out of touch. And John Hughes always felt like he was so in touch with being a kid. Obviously, it's not a kid making these films. Somebody who was born in 1950 gets it, you know, 30 years on, 35. John Hughes is what, 30, almost 35 when this movie came out. Right. And he's, you know, it's like he has the taste of a teenager, which is really makes it, I think maybe that's one of the things that makes it hold up so well. Dave, is there anything left unsaid that you wanted to talk about with 16 Candles? You know, I have to give a shout. I don't know if you realize this. Uh, I know you're a huge fan of Kramer versus Kramer, the film. We did yep. a knockback episode on that. Indeed. The, uh, the little kid character, what is his name? Mike, 
little Mikey Baker, the little bro. Oh, that's the that's the is that the same that's kid? the Kramer versus Kramer kid. Yeah, he plays little. Is it Billy in that movie? Which I didn't realize because I'm looking at him and I'm like, he's such an '80s face. Like I don't know yeah. if he's from like the Hot Wheels commercials, McDonald's commercials, whatever. And uh, the other thing is the little sister. She's barely in it. She has almost no screen time. She's an interesting one too because she looks so familiar to me. And <laughs> this will sound mean, but I'm not trying to be mean. She looks a lot older than she's supposed to be in the film too. Like, and I don't know if that's because she's so familiar again. Like, was she in like a bunch of Mattel, My Little Pony or Barbie commercials when I was little or whatever? But she looks so familiar to me too. I have to look into her a little bit. Yeah, the, the brother. That's interesting you said the, the brother character is over the top and a little much, but that actor is pretty good. I was thinking about that. I was like, he's pretty good. He is good. Yeah, I was Obnoxious like, he's pretty, little brother. Yeah, he's pretty good. Like the Says scene where too he much. just, yeah, like where, where they they say it's her birthday and he just walks away and he's like classic. He just walks into his room like I'm like that's pretty pretty good acting. On that he part. tries to bang into the door of the shoulder first and it doesn't open. Yeah, <laughs> and then he opens. It. I love little shit like that. It could have even yeah. been a mistake. Who knows? Yeah. Or is that or is that kid like the next coming of uh, Charlie Chaplin? We'll never know. Who, who 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 could say? Who knows? What else? Anything else? You know what? No, I mean that's it. We get a we get a little look at John Cusack and his sister Joan, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. They'll be big later on, not just in John Hughes' world, but in film in general, which is kind of neat. Yeah, I forgot that Joan Cusack was in it until I saw him. Like, oh shit, Joan Cusack's in this too. <laughs> Nameless character, but yeah. does like a lot of those little comedic cutaways, like with the water fountains. Here's one thing with the Joan Cusack character. At first, I had remembered that device that she's wearing as like one of those dental mouthpiece things like those headgear things and later on we see farmer ted with that but i don't think that's what that is i think that's a scoliosis thing for posture because it's on her you realize it has no connection to her mouth it's just something that's like supporting her chin yeah and then wraps around to the back of her neck so is that like a school because scoliosis was like an 80s thing yeah what was what was with this obsession with scoliosis scoliosis scare right yeah like the like with the test where they would it was like the only time the gym teacher seemed to have like anything to do is like they would test you you know you would like bend over in front of them or something yeah you weren't part of that that wasn't gone by the time you went no i i I, I had scoliosis testing they like they like look at your back and like it was like what is yeah to see if you have this the curvature of the spine the little s curve or whatever and then is that how they corrected it? I don't know. I, get, I don't know. I was going to say, it's funny you brought up the Ted thing with his uh, his mouthpiece, though, because that was funny, Like because he wakes up and he has that. He's just wearing it, which is which yeah, is very so funny. Weird. It was just and on a, him. And there's a lot of just funny slapstick in this movie. I think people should watch it just for that. Just like pay attention to it. There's a, when they walk out, he the dad like pays off the priest, which is funny. You see. There's like a scene where he just like, and the priest just takes the money, like does it like it's just, as if it's just a normal course of action. So, the father, so though, the gangster dad, right? The right, Italian right. Dad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He like walks out, just like starts giving him money, <laughs> greases his grease the old palms. Yeah, it's so funny, man. It's good. Uh, yeah, so sixteen candles, uh, nineteen eighty four, definitely highly recommended. I did want to end with this, which is uh, from Joey. He says, "Where would you rank this title out of all of John Hughes's directorial mm. movies? He's not only shown us what that he's a witty writer. He's proved he has some great eye behind the camera. I personally." I personally put, <clears throat> I'm sorry, planes, trains, and automobiles at the top. So, out of the movies mm. that he um, that he directed, directed only eight. And, there's only eight of them, right? Yeah. And I'm so there's. Uh, let's see here. Sixteen Candles is the first. Then Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's having a baby. Uncle Buck, and then uh, later on, Curly Sue. I don't know if you saw right. that movie. I don't even think I know that movie. I don't even remember so, that one. No, me neither. So. 
out of those, I, I would say Breakfast Club is the best film out of those, out of those, in my opinion. And I would probably put Ferris Bueller second, maybe. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, those are all, I mean, not all, but the ones I've seen, I like all of those films. How, how, how do you feel about that? I, I didn't know he didn't direct Pretty in Pink until researching for this episode. That was Howard Deutsch. And he did a couple, what else did he direct? He might have directed some kind of wonderful too. For, um, of course, John Hughes wrote those. Yeah, I, that was a shock to me. I don't know. I think I agree with you. I think The Breakfast Club is just so iconic. I love that movie. I love just talking honestly about high school cliques and types. Like that was so refreshing. And it's like, Definitely. that's something that holds up even though the nature of that has evolved, but it's still kind of the same. So I might put I might put Breakfast Club at the top of that and Ferris Bueller and 16 Candles tied for second. Helene, I have to say, Helene thinks we're crazy for not doing Ferris Bueller yet. She's like, you're going to do 16 Candles before Ferris Bueller? But I was like, you know what? Why not go to his, to Hughes's directorial debut, even though he's he was a writer for years prior to that? Just because I think it's such a fresh start and it develops and kind of puts in place so many things that are going to be staples and sort of John Hughes touchstones later that it was kind of important to have the conversation. But, you know, I have to go back and see Planes, Trains, Having a Baby, Uncle Buck. I have to go back and watch all those. I haven't seen yeah, well, those in years. We'll get to them. I'm sure we'll get to them. Yeah. But, Some point. Yeah, definitely. So 16 Candles, 1984. It's on Hulu. I didn't know that, though, so I, I rented it on Amazon, but it was three bucks. Who cares? Um, oh, it's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can go rent it there. There's a lot of different options for you guys to watch. I hope you enjoy it if you do, and hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. Now, digging as we always do, let's end this episode of uh, Knockback with the Dad Joke. All right, let's do it, my friend. Kyle, this comes to us. This is a special one. Our pal, Ethan Anderson, and his wife, Charlene. So husband wife. and wife team. I like it. Wife. Yeah. Actually, Ethan, you know what? You said in the message to me, the DM, that it was Charlene's joke. So I'm going to give Charlene the credit. Thank you for being the sort of middleman. Yeah, the intermediary. The yeah. intermedi- intermediary intermediary but i'm gonna give this one props to charlene kyle i was gonna cook alligator for dinner tonight but then i realized i only have a crock pot (laughs) that's pretty good (laughs) not bad yeah i don't mind that at all pretty i just like the wives getting involved yeah definitely this is a welcome thing please i agree take Take my wife i take my wife everywhere but trying to way home Take my wife, please. <laughs> my wife, please. <laughs> Thank you, Henny Youngman. So good. I love. I love the old that 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 stuff. I I found a bunch of uh, our uh, our great grandfather, Dagan and I's great grandfather, James Darty, was a like an MC. Yes. At, um, at the Copa. Ballroom, I think at Co- at the Copa. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of other places. So anyway, he has. I when. Grandma died and we sold her house probably almost 20 years ago now. I went through and like I got a bunch of stuff that was just in the attic that was his. And some of the stuff that I got were like some old joke sheets he had. Dude, and that's I was, awesome. I, and I was reading them like some of like the one liners and stuff. And some of them are good. And I was showing Mike. I'm like, man, some of these are just so racist. Like, <laughs> Talk about not aging well. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because this stuff's from like the 40s and 50s, probably old. stuff like that. And I was like, oh, man. But this wow. is like so cool. It's all typewritten on like. Some of it's handwritten, but a lot of it's typewritten on that really thin paper. Yeah. Very, very translucent, cheap sure. paper. I, I got to show you that stuff at some point. It's good. Yeah. He passed when I was six. In fact, Allie was just born. So this is way before Colin. So it's not, yeah, our gramps, our great grandfather, we never had 
that that would have been he would have been an amazing one because he would have shed a lot of light on what went down in the family prior to remembering anything prior to the 70s you know he and he was a storyteller you know he was a, a, a funny guy a comedian that's what he did he was a he was a talker he would have been a great podcaster probably oh my god yeah right? I, I was saying like it would have Can been awesome imagine? to like the stories he could have told about entertainment and and all of that would have been the people he met and all that what a cool. miss that is definitely yeah definitely all right dake well let's get the hell out of here thank you all let's for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand Media and Knockback, Sacred Symbols, Defining Duke. Remember, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Subscribe on podcast services. Leave us nice reviews there if you can. YouTube, we're there too if you want to watch us on video. Uh, we appreciate you. We thank you. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Knock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Jonas Young, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Benjamin Muma, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton St- Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Ruley, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Tronge, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Greek Thunder, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poots, Zal Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan Arkitredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Dave Bostic, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, Daryl Rodriguez, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algret, Dominic, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, John Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Brent Linquist, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, 
I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.